person and work of the Holy Spirit, I ask you to turn your attention to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Just a word about Galatians. You are probably aware of the fact that the primary issue that Paul is dealing with with the Galatian church is their desire to fall back into trying to follow the law in order to win God's favor. But included in that is his concern of a slip into immorality as well, and that is sort of part of the focus that we'll be looking at this evening as we read this passage. But again, our emphasis is on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Children, here are your questions for this evening. Where does God give us directions on how to live for him? Two, why don't we always choose to do the things God tells us to do? Three, what are some things we can do if we have to make a big decision about something? Some of you probably are not quite at the age where you're making big decisions about stuff, but you'll get there. Don't worry. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin back in verse 13 to give us some context, and we'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So there ends the reading of God's word. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, you have spoken to us so clearly and so pointedly in your word. And Lord, it's critical for us to receive from you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to cast away all distractions, all the things that would 
take our focus off of what you would have us hear tonight. Anything that would distract the preacher and the hearer. Lord, there are times when it seems that the devil is at work trying to thwart the work of your word. Tonight we pray that you would bind him in a very special way. Lord, that you would give us freedom to receive from you that which we need to receive tonight. So please send your Holy Spirit in a special way. Please help your preacher. Please help all of us who will hear tonight. As we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout Scripture, life is often depicted as a walk or a journey. Journey of life, a walk in the ways of the Lord or in other ways. Scripture certainly distinguishes between two different walks, two different paths. One that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. In the end, there are really only two ways. Tonight, our passage is speaking to those who are already believers, or at least professing believers, and the Apostle Paul is reminding his readers that they've been transformed by Christ. They are on the right path, but they need to be reminded to keep from swerving off the path. Certainly, unbelievers listening to this would be alarmed at what he says about those who are not living for Christ, and rightly so. But it seems to me the warning here is to those who are already in Christ and they're being reminded to walk right because we are prone to wander. Prone to wander. And so Paul is going to speak to us about our need, our need to stay focused on the right path, the path of righteousness. And any Christian that knows himself well knows how much we need the Holy Spirit to help us to obey. Because we're prone to wander. We're prone to be willing to give into temptation, whatever the temptation might be. But Christians can have hope, should have hope, because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he plays a great role in our ability to obey and actually transforming our own desire to bring us to the point where it is our own desire to obey and to walk in the ways of the Lord. I would suggest that anyone who falls into the traps continually of the sins that Paul mentions here and in other places his lists of sins, that anyone who continually lives in that situation should not think of themselves as a Christian, but any Christians who find themselves continually falling into those things, into those traps, needs to understand that they're in desperate need of the work of the Holy Spirit. To deliver from the bondage that those sins keep us in. There's something wrong when a Christian is continually in bondage to certain sins. Because we know from Scripture that sin no longer has dominion over us. And yet what compels us to continually pursue some things that we know are wrong in the sight of God? Paul makes some of those things very clear here. As we read it, we should be very much aware that no Christian should ever be comfortable 
with indwelling sin. If we're talking about the process of sanctification, we should no longer be comfortable with any indwelling sin, nor should we ever be satisfied with our ability to obey and do all that God's commanded us to do. We're constantly reminded of our need to rely on the Holy Spirit and to continually go back to the Word to reinforce that which is right and good and help us to distinguish from that which is wrong and evil. Remember, Jesus died for every one of our sins. Why would we ever want to re-embrace anything that he died for? Let me state the obvious. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. In other words, the curse of our disobedience. But he has not delivered us from moral obedience. Someone said the gospel is a doctrine according to godliness. And so... So the path of the Christian life is the pursuit of holiness. And again, there are just two paths, and we need to be very much aware that there there is a right way and there is a wrong way, and there's only one way acceptable to Christians. Two paths. Two paths. Proverbs 14.12, we're all familiar with this. I trust every child that's gone through Sunday school would be familiar with this passage. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. The first concern is the right way to reconciliation with God, and that's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's that, that pathway of life, that guide that we follow, And again, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. There is a way that's informed by the world, by our flesh, by our desires, and there's a way that's informed by the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit. And they are, according to the gospel, in conflict. If you go back to our passage and look at verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all of these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you go back further, right, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a clash. And set before us are two very distinct ways. The first one involves all kinds of sins. The first set that Paul points out are those that are clearly perverse. Clearly perverse. Anybody with any sense of morality, of Christian morality, that is, would understand that sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, are are all perverse. If not physically perverse, spiritually perverse, but you really can't detach the two. But then as Paul often does, he gives us mixed in that list of the very obvious, sinful, perverse things, those more subtle, almost acceptable things to some Christians. It's amazing how Anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy can be so easily overlooked in 
some people who call themselves Christians. Sometimes we, to our own shock and disappointment, see those things in ourselves. But they're nonetheless sinful and they're nonetheless things that are unacceptable to God. I've seen some of these things in full bloom in Christians. And if they're ever confronted with those things like envy and divisions and rivalries, they make excuses and they, and they make excuses for their behavior. But then Paul brings us back to the obvious drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And so we could go back to all the other lists, but the rule is this. If our life is still in bondage to these things, if this is still the dominant way we live our lives under the reign of these sins, as Paul warned them, we are warned in the scripture, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which should make true Christians all the more repulsed at anything that smacks of any of those things in our lives. See, this is one of those things that for Christians, Paul is reminding that if we're saved, we're no longer under sin and we're to be in pursuit of the right things of the Lord. It's one of those places where Paul is saying, you're already this. You're already in Christ. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now pursue that in your life. And so pursue these things of righteousness. In contrast to all those evil things that dwell in our minds and our mouths and our hearts sometimes, in contrast to that is this list of the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit that proceed out of Christians because of our union with Christ and our being engrafted into the vine of Christ. We, we bear fruit because we're engrafted into Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control become a part of our life, not in perfection. Those are things that, that are there and that are being pursued. And so, so Paul lays out that conflict. And the Holy Spirit will help us to focus on those things and will help us to focus on the things that are pleasing in the sight of God. There's only one spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And where he leads us and what he teaches us is never going to conflict with anything that the Father or the Son teaches us in the scriptures. They'll never contradict one another and the Holy Spirit will never tempt us to sin. I've actually heard bogus claims about the Holy Spirit's guidance, guiding people in directions that are clearly sinful. We know better, I trust. There's one Spirit, one faith, one word, one Spirit, and together we'll be led on the right path. We pray to the Lord, lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. That is a prayer of dependence. That is a prayer of weakness. That is a prayer of need. 
the prayer of submission. We pray that we would be led in paths of righteousness. We pray it regularly. It's not a one-time prayer. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you're still going to be prone to wander. You're still going to have temptations to go to the left or to the right. You're still going to have temptations. Maybe not those grandiose kinds of sins, but take heed lest you fall. But we will be tempted with those things that perhaps are a little more subtle, that are equally sinful. So we pray. We pray. Not a one-time prayer. Lead us in paths of righteousness. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. We continually need guidance. Take a warning from the Apostle Paul through the Old Testament experience of Israel. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Listen closely, as always, to the word of God. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. This passage helps us understand that if we put ourselves in the place of temptation, we put ourselves in the place of temptation in a, in a situ situation where we are being tempted, we put ourselves there. It's not the Holy Spirit who led us there. It's not the Holy Spirit who led us there. And if we fall, we get the credit and we get the consequences. But we're told clearly in Scripture that God will give us a way out. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with our sometimes focused wills on pursuing our fleshly desires that we fight the very things 
that we know are right. We even fight the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes this section can be read as you're in the midst of something, you're about to sin, and God literally intervenes, right? Some surprise, some providence that comes your way, and that happens sometimes for sure. But the way that this usually works is through your conscience being pricked by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God coming to bear upon your souls. That's how it usually happens. But you know yourselves, and I know myself. We're very good at quenching those convictions. We cannot allow for that. And the way we're going to be helped to keep from allowing for that is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and there's no way that that's going to happen unless we are in prayer and we're immersed in the Word. Because we will go towards our flesh and towards our desires. Simply stated, O-B-E-Y. Simply stated, obey. Be a very short sermon. Now I would gather that we're all looking for a little more when we think about keeping in step with the Spirit. But where we need to begin is simply that, obey. And when this passage talks about walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, it's not just, it's not a casual walk. These are marching orders. The indication in here is marching in cadence with the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth and the direction in his word, step by step, precept by precept. And so if we really want to know what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, if we really want to know how to have the right inclination towards obedience, we need to understand, first of all, what the Word of God plainly says. So many people are digging for wisdom and direction for specifics, but skipping that part. Don't want to take the time, don't want to make the effort to really understand what God is saying in His Word, and sometimes it's it's crystal clear. Other times we have to dig some more, but God has made plain the right path and the wrong path, the right way, the wrong way, the righteous way, the sinful way, the way of the Spirit, the way of the flesh. So number one, we have to be under the rule of the Word and guided by the Holy Spirit, the commandments, the wisdom literature, the precepts in Scripture, the principles. The question, I guess, for all of us tonight is, are we really interested in that? I trust we are. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that we're not. But are we really interested in doing what God desires for us, what the Holy Spirit will prompt us to do if we trust in his work in our lives and submit ourselves to the word? In other words, are we really willing to do, as Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are we really putting to death those things that are sinful in the eyes of God? So there's the clear path. And then, then we want to navigate nuances. And here's where it gets a little tricky when things aren't clear. 
It's easy to weed out the obvious, but it's not always to know what's right to do in certain situations. And we want specifics, we want details, but here I'll simply say the more biblically informed we are, the more our hope of pursuing the right path in those details falls into place. There's no guarantee. But if we're not biblically informed and if we're not seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you can be sure we're going to be confused at best and make some bad decisions, sometimes the worst decisions we can make. And then seeking specifics. I wish I could give you crystal clear answers. Here's how you know the will of God for those details in your life that you want to know. I can't do that. I do believe that there are promptings of the Holy Spirit that will make things clear. And sometimes, and I'm not into signs and visions, but sometimes things that we're confused about will become crystal clear as the Holy Spirit, again, works in our hearts and our minds through the word. There's nothing wrong with praying for clarity. Sometimes we pray for clarity and we still don't get it. We need to pray. And there's nothing wrong to pray, pray for it. We should always be in prayer, but, but praying specifically. But we still might not get a crystal clear answer. As for me, when we were offered the opportunity to come to Covenant Church from New Jersey, blessed New Jersey, it was a difficult challenge a matter of prayer it was a real struggle nothing on this end was wrong had attachments on that end it came down to the wire i honestly did not know what to say when one of our former elders was so adamant that you will answer this date this time yes or no and the dreaded phone rang and i still wasn't clear in my mind and obviously to state the obvious, I said yes. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm glad. But there are things in your life, some that will be clear, some that will be nebulous, some maybe you won't get crystal clear answers to. Some things in your life are so specifically tailored to you that no one should try to answer that for you, especially someone with authority from the pulpit. Some things are so mysterious that will take place in your life, that will guide you, that no one should dare try to fathom those things and explain them away. But I can say this, that you will get much more clarity and direction in your life if you regularly immerse yourself in the word and prayer and seek the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to read my own blurb in the bulletin. You could read it yourself. But I'm going to read it for the sake of those who might be listening or watching. I'm not sure if I gave you any clarity tonight. I really am not sure. We're all seeking to stay in step with the Spirit. We want answers. But here's what I say under a different drum. God's people must not live life according to fleshly impulses, 
or walk to the drumbeat of worldly mindedness. We're to march to the cadence of the scriptures, well attuned to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The two will never conflict. The path of the righteous is well defined in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit helps us to embrace God's directives and empowers us to live by them. When we are tempted to stray from the word and ignore the Holy Spirit, we're bound to stray from what is right and pleasing to God. To keep in step with the Spirit in simple form is simply to obey the word. There will be times in life when we must make decisions about nuanced and confusing but vitally important situations. In those cases, we should diligently seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit for those things through prayer. But if we have scripture as our guiding principle for all things in life, we already have a phenomenal source of guidance. Our problem is usually a failure to put into practice biblical precepts and principles that we know are right. Because of that, we need the Holy Spirit to help us appreciate what is right and prompt us to choose to do right, producing in us fruit which glorifies God, is good for our own souls, and edifies the people around us. Well, if we immerse ourselves in the word and the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we'll be less inclined to go down the wrong path and embrace sin. And we'll get more clarity making our decisions. And once we make a decision that we might still be uncertain about, we'll certainly have much more peace if we've prayed about it, submitted it to scripture, and sought the help of the Holy Spirit. So seek the Holy Spirit's help in your prayer, and he will guide you. He will guide you if you are willing. That I'm certain of. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your saving grace that you did not leave us on the path of destruction. Certainly by nature and according to our flesh, that's where we would have been headed. But in your sovereign grace and your mercy and your love for us, you have saved us. And you've turned us around from leading to the path of destruction. And you've set our focus on the heavenly things. You've set our focus on serving you. You've set our focus on living our lives to the glory of Christ and throwing off the sins that entangle, not swerving to the left or to the right, putting a desire in our heart we trust to obey you above all. And you've put before our very eyes the glorious beatific vision of Christ glorified in a celestial city in which one day all of our questions and our confusion, questions will be answered, our confusion will be laid to rest. But as you've privileged us to live our lives for you and to have our journey set according to the guidance of your spirit and your word, we ask that you would give us willing hearts soften us, Lord, help us to love what you love and to walk in the way that's pleasing in your sight. Guide us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Burn in our hearts that we might wholly live for you, our God. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing hymn, it's hymn number 536, Searcher of Hearts from Mine Erase. And we'll please stand.
now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He surely will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.